0: You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek.
1: Hello, please let me see your ticket subs with Double Edge Double Bill. Tonight, the vast of night smells foul. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones, Let the Chaos
0: begin. And
1: I' to Thomas- <laughs> Thomas- <laughs> get that leaf over out of here,
0: and I'm Thomas Mariani, and I'm here, and I just uh, heard a weird sound over the radio here. I think you all just heard it. I have no idea what kind of alien world that's from. You baking biscuits, oh, I'm baking them biscuits, you know it uh-huh. uh broadcasting these biscuits right all over on the double edge double bill, yes, so uh, welcome to the double-edged Double Bill if you're new, uh basically every week. Adam and I uh, end up uh, covering two films, one is ostensibly good, one is ostensibly bad, that we chose at the end of our previous episode, and we'll be doing our picking for next week's topic at the end of this one, so stay tuned for that. So every year, Adam, we like doing this thing, where midway through the year, we cover Mm -hmm. all the movies that have come out from 2020 so far, and uh, at the end of the year, we do the same just as an overall year wrap-up. This is a weird fucking year (laughs) to do it. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> i think that's kind
1: of an understatement across the board uh yeah it's it's a very uh s- sort of strange time uh, to be a cinema fan because uh, especially if you like going to the theaters not happening and especially if you're waiting for certain 2020 releases not happening uh like you know black widow or even tenant that keeps getting pushed back uh yeah it's a very strange
0: it's very, very strange. And it's interesting because I did actually go to the movies at least a couple times this year um, before things ended up shutting down. In case you're in the far distant future where hopefully, dear God, hopefully this is all a distant memory. Um, we're in the middle of COVID-19... Uh, you know, crisis, where especially in terms of, uh, you know, everything on Earth has been severely affected. But in uh, Mm -hmm. our case, in our purview, uh, theaters have mostly shut down um, starting around like mid-March. I remember the last movie I saw in the theater was Onward, the Pixar movie. Yeah, no, I didn't see shit in the theater this year.
1: Like, I really didn't. Like, uh, uh, no, nothing. I think I, uh, God, what was the last fucking, I can't even tell you the last fucking thing I saw in the theater, man. Like, it's been a while. I I, I don't know if it was in Chapter 2, but it very well could have been.
0: That would be a bummer if it was at Chapter 2, though. I think it might be. Oh, that sucks. And that's really sad. <laughs> like, it's really sad. Then again, you know what I'm saying all this? I think, honestly, once things hopefully eventually clear up, I wouldn't be surprised if theaters still continue to some degree. But I think in the capacity they were beforehand, it's not going to. Mm-hmm. We kind of talked about this off-mic a bit. That basically, I think after this point, I think theaters are going to become kind of more like sporting events, where certain bigger titles will come out, like probably maybe a couple a month, but I don't think it's going to be at the capacity where even like smaller releases that were coming out around that time are going to get a chance to like come out in theaters as Uh much as on streaming sites.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think the most you'll get is, like, a weekend release where if you go see it on that weekend, you can see it in the theater. If not, it's going to be straight to digital. Uh, I, I think, like the, like you said, the big ones, the Marvel movies, uh, well, the superhero movies in general. And, uh, you know, like you said, off mic, like a, like a Christopher Nolan, anytime he makes a movie, it, it's an event. Like, event directors, their movies will still get released, like a Spielberg or something like that. Or, or but,
0: Quentin Tarantino, people who have, like, the clout at least to, like, get their stuff put in theaters, yeah.
1: I think the theater-going experience as we know it is going to completely 100% change. Absolutely.
0: Yes, um, I anticipate that fully. But at the same time, I do at least appreciate that certain streaming services have been around where, you know, some smaller things at least have gotten more attention than I think they ever would have, honestly. Um, in, In terms of, like, when, you know, given all this is going on, people have been at least like, well, we're stuck at home. What's, like, something we could talk about and watch right now? Like, I would argue one of the movies we're covering tonight... Had that, where I don't think anyone would have given a single shit about The Vast of Night, which is our good pick. I don't think anyone would have even heard of this movie, except for, like, well, I'm at home, what's streaming on Amazon Prime? Um, in that You're case.
1: right, what's new in the queue? Oh, here you go, Amazon produced this movie, let's watch it. I agree. And then the other one would have died a very fast death at the theaters, I believe.
0: Yes, um, as opposed to becoming at least briefly a meme. I know you don't follow the memes, but I think you can tell which particular moment got clipped a lot <laughs> It was shared all around, <laughs> which we'll talk about. And by the way, that film we're referring to is Artemis Fowl, which was the bad pick that we end up picking. And that was my bad pick. Adam had the good pick of Vast of Night. Uh-huh. Um, and so we're going to talk about both those movies here. Uh, first off, though, we'll start off with our bad pick, Artemis Fowl. Authorities launched a worldwide manhunt. He has been behind some of the biggest robberies ever. It would appear we've garnered quite a bit of interest, Marty.
1: You think I'm ready?
0: Welcome to the family business.
1: I have a plan. We need a thief. I thought you'd never ask! And we need a fairy. Think you can trust me? (laughs) No, you can trust me. Fair enough. Artemis Fowl. Start streaming June 12th on Disney+. Plus.
0: So, Artemis Fowl was supposed to be released in theaters, as Adam kind of mentioned earlier. Um, it was originally slated for release on August 9th of 2019, but got delayed to May 29th, 2020. And then with all the stuff having with COVID-19 um, and theaters shutting down, Disney decided to finally put it on Disney+. Plus. Which, before we even get started with Artemis Fowl, I think what's interesting is... <laughs> Hey everybody, uh, this is Thomas uh, from the future of this particular episode's recording in the editing bay for double Edge, double bill. Uh, I just wanted to come in uh, and preempt any comments that might pop up for the discussion we're about to have about Disney plus uh, because um, as of when we recorded this, it was on July 3rd, which was early on in the release of Hamilton on Disney plus, which we failed to mention at all. And as of when I am recording this little bit that I'm inserting into the episode, um, a lot of news has popped up that uh, Hamilton <laughs> blew up Disney plus basically in terms of increasing downloads by the you know, hundreds of thousands and spiking up you know people joining the streaming service so uh, we're about to say some things about Disney plus uh, that happened before um, all this uh, Hamilton drive but I will also add just here at least for myself that um, this is a great thing that Disney has done uh, for increasing their business on Disney plus but at the same time, can they keep that consistent after this? We'll have to see. Uh, but as of yet, yeah, they did a pretty good job. So no comments about what'd you miss? Yeah, because that's from Hamilton. It's, it's a song. It's a reference. Anyway, back to the show. As I mentioned, other streaming platforms like an Amazon Prime or Netflix, some other things, have thrived during this time. Uh, Disney Plus hasn't done shit.
1: Well, you gotta figure, too, because all their big ones, like, oh, we're just gonna release straight on streaming. Other than Onward, which was serviceable, which I don't think was great, but it was decent, they've kind of been, like, wastes.
0: Before, obviously, all the pandemic stuff happened, uh, Disney was obviously in sort of, like, a huge bright spot. Like, 2019 was their most successful year, because Um, they'd had, like, you know, um, Galaxy's Edge had opened up in theme parks, but also they had, like, the triple-decker of, like, huge-ass movies of, like, there was the Lion King remake made a shit ton of money, they had a Star yeah. Wars movie, Endgame, of course, all the Marvel movies that they had, um, so, basically... Well, then they also
1: had the Mandalorian series coming.
0: That's the only thing on Disney Plus that's gotten any kind of real attention, and yeah. I think it's because Disney Plus, aside from Mandalorian, was mostly an afterthought for Disney, where it's just like, oh, it's something we can do after our, like, bigger movies come out in the theaters and stuff, we can put it exclusively here, pretty much, unless you want to pay for it, like, on Amazon, if you want stream it right you know, paying for it immediately you can subscribe to disney plus
1: exactly it was their way to monopolize dude netflix had some marvel movies and once their light scenes ran out they were gonna get them so if you want to watch those movies you gotta get disney
0: plus same with the, most of the star wars movies as well yeah they knew exactly what they were doing
1: and and you know i i'd argue it absolutely like you said it was absolutely very successful at first but now it's like you kind of realize how limited the selection really is in the grand scheme of things. Who's sitting there at late at night like, you know what, I'm going to watch Snow White. You know you know what I mean? Like, nobody. You know, The Simpsons was a huge draw for me, but I burned through them shits the only good seasons in like three weeks, and you're
0: done. And it feels weird that like now because of the pandemic stuff, like they don't have the theater stuff to rely on, and also their theme parks are dead, unusable. Water-able. Dead in the water, yeah. right. Um, no matter how many times they're like, like, we're going to open it back up. Let's push her back a month. Oh, we're totally gonna put up push her back a month. Like <laughs> especially Disney World in Florida. That's never gonna
1: fucking happen.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Christ>. <laughs> Can't confirm. Yes. <laughs> um But anyway, so much to say that like Disney Plus kind of deciding, okay, we're stuck in this position where we do have to release some of our things, but we're not going to put out, like, some of the bigger, giant things. Um, Let's use this platform and put out Artemis Fowl, which, as you kind of mentioned, didn't seem like it was going to be much of a big hit. It had been through a lot of turmoil. It was originally developed for Miramax, um, with a certain um, Weinstein involved in producing. Um, and he ended up being ousted from that project. So it's been in production for like 20 or so years. And this book, of course, was a very popular series um, as written by, I'm going to mispronounce this Irish name, Aowen um, Colfer? I believe Yeah, that's it's, pro- it's of probably movie. Ian. And the thing is, as a kid, I remember this book series being very popular. Like, obviously, you know, this came out in the wake of, like, your Harry Potters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Percy Jackson. Percy, and... Well, Percy Jackson's, like, one of the many examples of, like, let's do a young adult fantasy series, which eventually spun off into Twilight and all sorts of other stuff. That was a really popular genre of book and movie for, I'd say, like, a solid ten or so year period. Yeah, I never heard of this. Like, I didn't know Artemis
1: Fowl was a thing.
0: I remember it was sort of the series that, like, everyone was into Harry Potter as a kid, obviously. But then everyone at least had one other book series that they were, like, kind of adjunct to. You had your, like, um, Series of Fortune Events kids. That was me. I was in that camp. Um, Then you had your uh, Artemis Fowl kids. It's like gangs, basically, only we were all nerds who read books nerdy ass gangs
1: (laughs) like the sharks and the jets with pocket protectors
0: oh no the sharks and the jets were much cooler than this um (laughs) we couldn't snap um (laughs) could roll
1: some dice though (laughs) eight-sided
0: excuse me with a 20-sided die third oh Um, i'm
1: sorry my fault i don't even know that shit
0: (laughs) uh no but i like heard so many like Friends of mine who did love the Artemis Fowl books. And when you hear about the premise where basically it's in this world where there's like magic and there's like a man in black style thing of like, oh, hey, there are fairies and stuff, from what I'd heard with the original books. Yeah, it's and, Irish and then, fairy tales are real. Right, but the twist is that our hero, instead of being like a kid who discovers all this stuff magically, he, because of his history with his father, who's like a criminal in this world, and he decides to basically become like a Hans Gruber and abduct a fairy and hold him hostage so he can get what he wants. That sounds pretty fucking dope as a premise. Yeah, it
1: sounds cool. Like, it, it sounds at least different and interesting. Like, yeah. it's a new spin on a, on a formula you've seen a hundred times already. Mm-hmm. Uh, which we didn't get with this. <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> no, this was everything we've already seen a hundred times. Uh, done half-assed with nobody giving a fuck. No. <laughs> I mean... And the kid You know He's a kid I don't want to talk shit about a kid But fuck this kid He's 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 so wooden And cannot emote At all Him or the one who plays The the fairy Whatever I I completely forgot her name I watched this movie this morning I don't remember their names (laughs) Right Uh, Colin Farrell Doesn't care No judy dench could not give less of a fuck excuse me dame judy dench sir oh i'm sorry What? Well, she doesn't deserve that title after this movie <laughs> this i mean like it's incredibly boring and it shouldn't be none of the stakes like you they don't matter like you don't feel like there's any big sort of moment in this movie any big sort of conflict or anything like i none of it I, it felt so it's such a self-contained thing inside this mansion really other than the fairy city when you do see it but nothing fucking matters like oh we got to get the oculus we get it, and they just instantly bring his dad back? Like, that's it?
0: It's weird where you, you mention there's not that many sort of, like, locations, yet at the same time, this looks expensive. Like it feels like it was shot to save money, but also they keep using money exponentially <laughs> with, like, all the like the special effects and the costume design and all this other stuff. Like, the effects were decent.
1: There was a couple times where you were like, yeah, I could use another polish or two, but they weren't terrible. And Josh
0: Gad... Okay, we need to talk extensively about Josh Gad in a second, but I'll say uh, okay. <laughs> that um, I do completely agree with what you're talking about here. This is one of the more boring examples, especially of like a big budget blockbuster, because usually even in like some of the worser ones, you can at least find some like, oh, that was a really weird choice. Like there's one I would argue in this movie. All Which, of, like,
1: is, which is?
0: Which is, there's a bit speaking special effects wise, end of Josh Gad, where he um, ends up digging. And he shits out the dirt. And shits out the dirt, right? And he opens his oh, mouth yeah. wide. That was kind of cool. Oh, I just found it disturbing and unsettling.
1: Well, I didn't it, it's a new sort of take where they actually eat the dirt? Like that's how they dig. Like, okay, I mean, don't get wrong, it's fucking crazy. Like, my kid watched it with me, and she's watching. And I'm like looking at her when he's just dis, disjointing his jaw. I'm like, oh no, is she gonna be scared? Like, it's pretty sort of unnerving. I, I do agree that against everything else feels like.
0: That was the thing that became memed. Like, everyone took that clip and put it all over, like, Twitter and Facebook and everything else. It's weird and sticks out. But at the very least, you know, it's like you said, that's at least distinctive as opposed to most of the stuff that's in, like, the fairy city feels very men in black in the dullest way possible.
1: Oh, yeah. Their costumes are so stupid. Yep. (laughs) Oh, and their weapons are so stupid. Too
0: bad and so many things feel like an afterthought like even like there's a dude who's like a centaur who's one of the guys who like is one of the main operational people mm-hmm. looking over what's going on and it feels right. like an afterthought it feels almost like did they add this in post like you yeah, so, get normal legs
1: exactly because then at the end when they show him they're all like cheering for whatever a fucker name is i i don't even remember he's wearing like a skirt i'm like oh yeah. wait what Like, what are we doing with this character? We didn't do anything with him.
0: No, not at all. Damn,
1: Judy Dench. Gravelly voicing without any emotion on her face. And when she does the Irish sort of, like, one-liners, they're so bad. (laughs) Top of the morning to ya. It
0: it takes a lot for me to say this. Um, I longed for the days of Judy Dench and Cats. Because at least that was weird. (laughs) I believe it.
1: <laughs> Look, the last movie... Uh, where we Oh, God. Like, we were doing the, the, the movie, where like, you should be offended because you're Italian.
0: Oh, um, the Master of Disguise, right.
1: Yeah, right, right.
0: The last awful fucking movie.
1: You should be offended. I should be offended at this because I got, like, his Irish blood in me. Oh, yeah. Like, like it's offensive. Like, Colin Farrell, I'll give it because, you know, he's Irish. I believe the kid that plays Artemis is really Irish.
0: He is the grandson of Robert Shaw.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, but, and then there's cool ideas. Like when Josh Gad is in the prison and the goblins and like the, the way they control the fire and stuff. I'm like, Oh man, these goblins like look fucking like the special effects were really good. Yes. And they do nothing with it. It's so fucking just half-assed done. Like can Kenneth Branagh, please, please Kenneth Branagh make an interesting fucking movie.
0: That's what I was about to mention, that this is Kenneth Branagh, who has had such an odd career, both as an actor and a director. Uh-huh. It's it's so weird, starting, of course, with the Shakespeare adaptations of the late 80s, early 90s, that were most of which very good, especially his Hamlet. Like Hamlet. Oh, fuck oh, yeah. Uh, so good. His he, he, he right? Much Ado About Nothing, his uh, Henry <laughs> Well, v. his
1: character in Harry Potter, he was really good. Yeah. You know, then you got, like, Frankenstein. You're like,
0: oh... The thing is with Kenneth Branagh is at least in like some of those other things you're mentioning he's like all in.
1: <laughs> oh <laughs> like, no, even... dude, he's he's a hundred percent in, like uh, a Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, like which is not a terrible film, which is an unnecessary film, mm-hmm. uh, but he's all in as Perola. and he's not terrible. I mean that mustache is fucking badass. There's uh, a
0: great line that I heard in an interview with Ray Stevenson, who was in the Thor movies yeah, yeah. Um, as Volstagg. He talked about at one point that he was um, being asked to do a scene in the original Thor, which obviously Kenneth Branagh directed, and he was like, "Oh, you know, did I go over the top in here? I don't want to like go. I don't want to dip my toe in the river of ham." And then Kenneth Branagh was like, "Sir, I want you to." swim and bathe in the river of (laughs) (laughs) hell for this and i love that philosophy with brana but here it's so dull like it's so weird thinking the guy who made henry v and its big elaborate epic action sequences has like some of the dullest ones here so it's got
1: to be studio involvement right Mm -hmm. like i at this point it has to be yeah it's so bland and boring and this movie's what like an hour and 45 minutes i think yeah hour and a half it feels like it's three fucking hours long
0: but but even then like at the same time like he also worked on thor which obviously had a lot of you know sort of studio involvement in terms like a kevin being very involved but at the same time there was still like fun to it even though he's not you know the best action cg director right but there's still charming
1: bits in thor this is just like the butler what are we doing with this guy you do nothing with him
0: I really like that actor a lot. I um, do non- Nonzo Anosi, I apologize if I mispronounced that, but I like that actor a lot, and I think he's trying, he's probably the one person trying, but yep. it doesn't really help, because like, the, as you mentioned, the kid, God bless him, it, I think it's just probably direction, because I think he's just like, directed to be as boring as possible. Maybe he's right. matching Colin Farrell, who looks so contractual obligated <laughs> oh, to be there. in mayor. every
1: way. In every in way. <laughs> the niece of the
0: butler? Oh! What is the point of her? Right, because she's this uh, young black character whose only role in the movie is to literally give the kid a sandwich. This That's one it. female character gives the main character a sandwich.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which is great. Wonderful use of yep. a young female character. Did you recognize the voice of the villain who kidnaps the dad? No. It's Hong Chao, who we recently loved in The Watchmen Show.
1: Oh, yeah, it is her. Yes, 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 yes. I think it's her
0: as in the in the costume too. I maybe, but you never see her face. I guess she was like allegedly uh-huh. supposed to show her uh-huh. face, but she's another problem. Like we haven't talked about some of these young adult like series movies in our show yet, but a big problem with a lot of these was just like, oh, we're going to be like Harry Potter, so we're going to set up stuff, and it's only here for setup for a sequel that never happens. In this particular case, it's definitely not fucking happening. And any of the scenes with her just feel like, oh, we're gonna save this for a sequel where she's, like, the main villain or whatever. And it's it's so just, like, bad table setting for all that shit. There's this weird point where, like, early on, she kidnaps Colin Farrell and that's the impetus for Artemis Fowl to do his stuff. And she's like, you have three days to retrieve the Oculus. What's the Oculus? Find out. It's like, what? What kind of planning is that? Tell the kid what it is. That he can find it. (laughs) You fucking idiot.
1: I know. It's so unbelievably bad. It's such a weak motive for the villain, too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, yeah, were once lived on the surface, but then humans came and we hid. Now I want to take the surface back. Gee, I've never heard that fucking plot. And then they, they want you to be scared of her. They do nothing with the, the villain at all. No. Like, nothing. She has no—because it's just like a disembodied, robotic-sounding voice— there's no inf- real inflection to it. There's nothing. Like It's just a blank slate. Like The best way I described it, I told my wife uh, about it, and I was like, you know, it feels like the first two Harry Potter movies done half as good with more money, where they, they were problematic, so they just kept throwing money at it to try to cover up.
0: Yeah, especially given yeah. like those movies had such detailed, elaborate like sets and all that other stuff. I'll watch like, Percy
1: oh. Jackson
0: over this shit. Oh, yeah. I'll man. watch,
1: oh, any day. I'll watch the Hunger Games series. Mm-hmm. I'll watch the Divergence series, which oh, good lord! But I'll watch those over this. I mean, this is just really fucking bad. So I did a little bit of research online. They they changed so much from the book, like it's 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 unbelievable. Like originally, the Butler niece was his sister. Artemis's mother isn't dead. Uh, you know, there's just a whole bunch of shit they changed. And so, not only do you alienate fans that were already built in place, fans of the book, you alienate the entire, uh, the entire new audience by just making a boring shit film. At least if you'd have followed the book and it might have been boring for average Joe... The fans of the book would have still loved it and celebrated it.
0: We have to, I guess, go into this now, because we've been dancing around him. The sort of main sort of supporting character are weirdly our, like, narrator for this story. Which is
1: not a thing in the book either. There was no narrator.
0: Of Josh Gad as Mulch Diggums. Um, Great name. Um, Who is weirdly, like, a guy who says, like, oh, I'm a very tall dwarf. I'm like a dwarfish gigantus or whatever, which has a lot of weird connotations. Um, But... Um, we never talked about Josh Gad on this show. Are you a fan at all of Josh Gad, Adam?
1: Here and there? mm mm-hmm. uh, I think Josh Gad is a fucking really cool dude. Like, I think he's funny. I think he's really into pop culture stuff. Like, I love the reunited with Josh Gad shit he does. His voice is Olaf is perfect. Mm-hmm. uh and I, And I... I, he was really hammy in the Beauty and the Beast remake or a live action one, but I'd argue he's one of like three things that work in that movie overall. So no, I, I guess I, I, I'm not a, like a huge fan, but I got nothing really against Josh Gad. Uh, but in this I'm like, Oh no, he's doing this gruff voice and you're like, right. this is completely unbelievable.
0: Yeah. But it's a weird thing where like, sometimes they play that just as a joke. And then sometimes like, no, he's actually kind of seriously a badass. It's like, I don't know what you're really doing. Um, I think that's the thing for me with Josh Gad. I mean, I I just think that, like, he's one of those guys who's really being forced on people. Like, they discovered him from, like, a Book of Mormon. That's where he kind of became famous, was his uh, Tony-nominated performance in the Book of Mormon. as one of the main two characters. And then he ended up, like, being smashed, especially up by Disney, who really, like, put him all over the place. And everyone's just like, oh, Josh Gad's, like, our new funny fat guy. Like, let's make him our new Jack Black. A thousand percent. You are no Jack
1: Black, sir. (laughs) How dare you (laughs) how dare you besmirch thy name but the thing is he's he is capable he's funny he's very charming uh he's he is witty he can sing everything like that i get it just man it it didn't work in this
0: i i'll agree that he's talented but then again i also i guess have a bit of a bias where oh so you um, don't like him i don't like josh cat very much no but i think some of that is personal i was sugarcoating it to avoid conflict um, this, <laughs> I love Josh Gad I have him all over my trapper keeper I, I invited him to my wedding My
1: daughter's middle name is Gad
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, He's the but, best man for the job Every job for, like, I, I guess I have the personal bias of um, I've heard so many times people say One well, that I look like Josh Gad Yeah I can see yeah, right? To the point where like, literally a friend posted A picture with him on Facebook And it automatically tagged me
1: Wait a minute though Wait a minute are you telling me you're not, Josh Gad? That's, That's you. the only reason I've been doing the show. God
0: damn it! Oh, I guess Aww. you know. I guess I'll find a reveal. It's summer, everybody. <laughs> uh, Olaf, you are exactly Josh Gad, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, but no, I, I guess there's also then people like, especially after the reunited a part of had so many like friends and family members are just like, oh, you love these movies he's talking about. You love Josh Gad. You should watch these. And every time I just feel like he's comes off, like he's trying so hard, like he's just trying so hard, which I can admire, but also at the same time, I find so aggressively annoying. Like when someone's able to take that talent and harness it, like I, th- I agree that I think Olaf is the most consistent thing about those frozen movies. Um, and I think, like, I've seen, like, clips of him doing Book of Mormon and other things. He's a very talented person, but also gets fucking so aggressive and shoved in my fucking face. Like, I get it. You're, you're, um, I think just especially here, though, it's, he's very much trying, but in a way that feels just so aggressive. Like, I get what you're, like, there's that whole bit when he's in the jail cell that we mentioned, and he's singing along to whatever fucking 80s song that I forgot. It's like
1: Foreigner or something like that.
0: Yeah, he does say Foreigner. He's like, hey, it's Foreigner. Uh, 1986, Mm -hmm. she really appreciates great music. If you like human music, God, it's so aggressively annoying. Like, he has banter with Judy Dench that's so dull, and I hate it every single time he shows up. He's so, like, trying to be shoved down my fucking throat.
1: (laughs) I love this. This is like me talking about, like, Nicolas Cage or John Travolta. This is amazing. Disney definitely did get high on the gad smoke and was like, dude, everyone needs to hit this shit. Repeatedly, over and over and they're over. They're hot
0: over. boxing Gad on me, and I didn't want Gadd, to be oh, hot dude, boxed.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> this isn't a hot yeah. box.
0: This is a Dutch oven. <laughs> yeah, no. I was gonna say
1: they're Dutch ovening Gad. <laughs> no, it's totally true though. Uh, well, like like I said, I don't like him. I don't love him. I don't hate him. I have zero feelings about Josh Gad because mm-hmm. I don't watch a lot of Josh Gad shit. The only reason I've even seen anything with Josh Gad in it is because of either my kid or just on a random YouTube surf. Other than that, I, I, I don't care. I don't care. Like I said, he seems like an all right guy. So, whatever.
0: So the the meaning of the story here is, uh, fuck Josh Gad. Anyway, Adam, your final thoughts <laughs> on Artemis Fowl. All right, fuck Josh Gad. <laughs> right? Good. Good.
1: You like look? It's a bad fucking movie. It's a really bad movie. Out of all of these that come out, like the Harry Potter's, Percy Jackson's, uh, Divergent, Hunger Games, you know, Twilight, whatever you want to call it, any of them, I would rather watch any of those over this one again because this one felt the most soulless.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would definitely agree with that. It just also feels weirdly, like, because of the production history and because of the wave of those, like, YA adaptations we got. Partially with Harry Potter, but especially, like, I think the Twilight series put that into, like, fucking high gear. We got so many Mm -hmm. of those, especially for, like, teenage audiences. But really, after I would say the Hunger Games series ended, that died a very fast death to the point where, like, some things are kind of like a Maze Runner sequel or some of the other yeah. shit, and it just dot, withered on the vine. Like, that is not a Well,
1: even anymore. the fucking Divergent thing, there was a fourth movie plan, and they're like, nope, and so they just did it on sci-fi.
0: No, no, they didn't even do it.
1: I thought they did a series on sci-fi.
0: They were going to, and then Shailene Woodley was like, I ain't doing that bullshit. Oh, no, well. it never happened. <laughs> that cliffhanger oh, well. was left at him. <laughs> I needed to know what happened in Divergent Force, but Smirgin'. I needed to know. <laughs> the Spus- This was detergent. Yeah. I needed to find out how they got it clean. The tide has changed. The tide Go has ahead. changed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, this feels so much like a relic of that and it feels so out of place in 2020 on every level and especially if it was in a theater we, it would have barely made anything. It would have been a huge bomb for Disney. so they did a write-off and put it on Disney Plus. Where I, you know, I just think the problem is, especially when streaming services do this, have a streaming service doesn't have a lot of content, and the big stuff mm. you put out, quote unquote, is stuff like this. It's you are gonna lose people, even if it's a Disney. Like you are gonna lose people, and when you know the streaming service is kind of like your main thing right now. <laughs> That's not a great sign. I, I think Disney will be fine, but at the same time, if you're hurting right now, that's not a good sign.
1: I, I agree. What's going to happen is like two months from now, people are going to notice it. I'm still playing for Disney Plus and
0: cancel it.
1: Yeah. That's what's going to happen. I don't think anybody's right. going to cancel it because of this movie, but this is a stepping stone to be like, oh my God, I'm done.
0: Yeah, because uh, at least like with like a Netflix or an Amazon, they put out so many movies that most of the ones that are really terrible just go to the wayside people only really acknowledge like the bigger things that end up getting some kind of acclaim um this thing uh, um, i end up sinking that boat a bit and you know what you know what that anchor is it's gonna sink you disney it's fucking gad
1: that's who it is so he made your list
0: oh believe me that he's on my the list i'm forming right now quarantine's made <laughs> me bitter gad um but let's uh, go to something more positive like an eso show you can queue up right after hours we are the Cigar Nerds Podcast. Do you like cigars? Great! We've reviewed cigars while talking about movies, TV shows, science, and pop culture news. What? You don't like cigars? Great! Because we also talk about science, movies, TV shows, and whatever's going on in the news. It's what we do. We smoke cigars, and we know things. Find us on CigarNerdPodcast.com. We're also on the ESO Network. And uh, now let's get into our good feature, the Vast of Night.
1: Hello? Is
0: this me? object are holding over my land? like a queen? This is WOTW Radio in KU, New Mexico. Hey, but
1: it's Faye. And the sound came through the board and interrupted your radio show. What sound. What's going on? There's something in the sky.
0: So The Vast of Night is a film that came out uh, May 29th, 2020, Uh, mostly premiered um, on Amazon Prime, played a couple festivals, it wasn't really that noticed, uh, because this is a very small feature, directorial debut of Andrew Patterson. By contrast very much to the movie we talked about last, which was a huge, big budget, $125 million movie, Uh, this is a very small indie. Uh, Basically, mostly takes place in a couple locations, and takes place in the 1950s. Um, and it follows uh, two younger folks um, who are at this very small town called Toyega, New Mexico, um, where basically the biggest event that happens um, is a basketball game that's going on, where most of the very small town is at. Uh, But these two, Faye and Everett, uh, Everett works at the local radio station where he's broadcasting. And Faye uh, works as a switchboard operator, given it's the 1950s. And uh, while he's broadcasting and she's switching around some wires, um, they hear some strange broadcasts from people, and then especially a weird noise that comes over. And it turns out those might be otherworldly, as they investigate a bit further. And um, I've talked about this movie a bit on the show, uh, because I did write a review. Over on my blog, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. wordpress.com I have said as of yet, as of this recording even, is my favorite film of the year. But this was your pick, Adam. Uh, and you hadn't seen it before we uh, decided to do it for the show. And uh, now that you've seen it, what do you think of it? Yes, I
1: purposely picked this because, A, uh, like I, I think I said uh, at the end of last week's show, I, I try to get any excuse to watch a movie that you might like or somebody else might like. So I can get it, you know, just watch it and feel it. And plus it sounded like it was right up my alley. It's, you know, very heady sci-fi ish, slow burn with a tinge of twilight zone in there. And I used uh, tinge very lightly. This is a very twilight zone it has a lot of those influences. completely. I mean, even in the beginning, it, it's basically sets you up like it's a, a twilight zone short. Uh, I was not on board for the first uh, little bit. I was actually kind of a, a little bit like, yeah with it. I was a little uh, bored with it, underwhelmed. I will say the the main actor, Everett, right away brought me in, though, because he he's fantastic.
0: Jake Hurwitz, uh, yes.
1: Yeah, he's really good, and so is uh, Kay, I think is her name.
0: Yeah, Faye, played by Sierra McCormick.
1: Oh, she's so good, too, which basically it's a two-man show mm-hmm. for the most part. Uh, so I'm like, okay, and then once they got the phone call from Billy and he's telling them his story, and I'm like, all right, I-, I can see where they're going, and then, okay. But I got to say, the last half hour of this movie, fucking hook, line, and sinker, absolutely fantastic. When they go to uh, the older woman's, the old woman's house, I can't think of her name, it's like Ethel or Muriel or something like
0: that. Yeah, Mabel Blanche is the character played by Gail Croward.
1: It's lady, old lady named one. You know, it's Ethel yes. or Muriel or Mabel or whatever. <laughs> you know. Old lady Mabel that <laughs> lives up the street. And <laughs> lives on Muriel Drive, down from <laughs> Ethel. Um, they, once I got to her house and she told her story, I was like, I was so not, I wasn't creeped out. Because it wasn't that type of sort of movie, I don't think. But I was really kind of sort of unnerved. Because just the idea of everything she told, and she whoever that dude, it was so convincing. Like she was fucking great. What a great, you know, dialogue or monologue. It's so good. Like it'd be a good monologue if you're in a drama class to 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 do. Mm -hmm. Like it's that good. Uh, And then the car scene with the other couple, and then the swelling score once they see what they see. I don't know how big we want to spoilers because it's really new. But once they see what they see with the, the score, I'm like, oh, my God. And that score is amazing. But just the accomplishment on such a minuscule budget yes. with all virtual unknown actors. It's really impressive. Like I, I don't think I'm as big on it as you are, but I, I was really impressed.
0: Well, I think we can definitely at least say, I do agree with you that we should probably put out a bit of a spoiler warning. Probably should have this at the beginning of the episode, think, given we're talking about two newer movies, but fuck Artemis. Yeah, style. but nobody wants So yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> we, we just saved you two hours. Right, right, but I would definitely say, I think we both recommend this movie, but we're going to go into a bit more spoilery detail after this point. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, But anyway, I can somewhat see where you're coming from, especially like when I first watched this, I would say the earlier stuff is admittingly uh, impressive as it's shot, which we should also say there are a lot of long takes in this movie. But what I like about sort of the opening bits in particular is that it I think it really does a great job of sort of establishing this small town as sort of a place where, oh, everyone knows each other. Like it really gives you mm-hmm. a sense because like it, it involves mainly um, the Everett character going around, like giving this recording equipment to the people who are announcing the game, the kids who are doing that. Um, and the big back and forth between, especially I love him and the uh, the bigger fella and how they're talking with yes. each other. And it's just like, um, oh, I was having supper. Are you going to keep telling me how we were having supper? All of a sudden here, like the, it's, it's really great rapid fire back and forth. And it doesn't really cut until that one older lady leads him into the back in the crawl space, which even mm-hmm. then I love, I love their dialogue going back and forth there oh, too, where too. she's like, Oh yeah, um, something died back, died back here. Uh, little Nessie looked in her cheerleader uniform and got a bat skull in there. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah,
1: but even when they get there and he's like, I asked for Emmett, you said forever Everett. the boy worked at the race station, I want Emmett. Emmett worked at the radio. Emmett never worked at the radio. Like, yeah, Emmett's never worked at the radio. He's always been at the mill. Now you tell me Emmett's never been on the radio. I'm like, <laughs> goddammit.
0: <laughs> like, yeah, I completely agree. I really love that kind of back forth. Even how Everett feels like the coolest kid that's there, particularly when he like, like takes the trombone and not no one really questions it. It's just like, sure, of course, take the radio.
1: <laughs> walks in a smoking trombone. a cigarette. Yeah. yeah.
0: All that stuff works so perfectly, and I think even though it's definitely, like, it's showing off the fact that, like, oh, we're not cutting around, there's a reasoning for it, and it shows a sort of flow. It's like, okay, here's everybody who are, like, sort of, like, the big hot shots in this town, which is saying so little, because, <laughs> like, a guy right. who works at a radio station.
1: On the nine o'clock news show. Right. a radio and, station. Right, and this yeah. young
0: girl who works as, like, a switcher. Like, this is, yeah. our heroes are so minuscule, even in the small town. Uh, but one of them looks so cool by comparison. And even, like, when they introduce Faye and Everett, and I love their kind of back and forth. her remember she admires, maybe has a crush on Everett, but you can oh, tell... Oh, I, like, I think that's, yeah. Right. But there's, at the same time, this, like, playfulness where Everett almost knows that, and she's like, all right, you're cute. Let's, like, have a bit of a backboard. Tell me about your favorite things and using the recording and all that stuff. It's a movie that really loves kind of these interactions with people, especially how they use technology. I love how this movie shoots technology, like the old switchboards or the old radio station. Mm-hmm. It feels, despite how it's very HD, very crisp, I watched this again in, like, ultra HD on fucking Amazon, um, it feels so of that time.
1: Whatever town they're actually in, I don't know if it really is a town in New Mexico or not, but it it looks fucking legit. The cars are legit. Nobody looks like they're wearing a costume. Right. You know, which does happen a lot in period sort of films, especially when they do the 50s or 60s. Everybody looks real. It it was definitely filmed now, like in modern times. There's a lot of real cool camera tricks, but that almost gives, gives it like an ethereal sort of look to it because everything else is deeply rooted in the 50s. So the music, the cars, the costumes, even the actors they chose look like they're from this era. Right. The houses that they show, everything. I've only said it like a two or three times on our show. Now we're doing like, what, episode 100 and fucking God knows what.
0: 14, <laughs> to be specific. Yeah, yeah right, right, right. Uh,
1: this is one that I want to rewatch again
0: because
1: mm-hmm. uh, I feel like I'm going to pick up things or every time I watch it. Uh, very subtle things because make no mistake uh, for anybody who's hearing this talk, this is a slow burn movie.
0: Despite being about 89 minutes long, it does definitely take a yeah, time.
1: Yeah, it's nothing happens until the last, like, 15 minutes. Like, visceral excitement is not till the last 15 minutes. Not visceral, maybe, but, like, visual excitement.
0: Right, that's the better term. Because I think there's a lot of auditory tension in particular, which yes. we'll get into, for sure. But I do agree, especially with the period detail, I guess because it feels almost like, because it's shot with, like, newer cameras, it feels almost like you're not watching an old movie, but living in that old time. Like you've time traveled yes. that specific period, and you're actually living in the middle of it, which I think yeah, is I like, agree. especially on the minuscule budget you mentioned, it does such a great job of creating that. And apparently, it was shot in Whitney, Texas, which is a very small town in Texas. And they actually took out the sorry the three point line of the basketball court in the gym yeah. because that wasn't around at that time. And they right, like exactly. just to get the that's period what made it gym. look so
1: small too. Yeah, you know, the, like the gym looked tiny, and it's not; it's a normal sized basketball court. But yeah, but that's that's the great part of this movie: those little details that they. They really took their time in making sure they did. And I'll tell you, one of my my favorite shots is when they're going across all the different lawns, through the fences. Yes. And everything with, oh, dude, it's so good. And they end up at the basketball court. Holy fuck, I'm watching. I'm like, this is nuts.
0: It had to clearly be drone photography. It's some of the best drone photography. Sure.
1: Oh, yeah, no, without a doubt. It's so well done. You know, it's a low budget, heady, slow burn, sci-fi-ish sort of throwback to Twilight Zone and Outer Limits and you could tell they absolutely loved everything they were trying to emulate. This reminds me of uh god damn it Thomas I can't remember the name but it was a uh, Spanish film it was on Netflix where everybody in the bus stop had the same face.
0: Okay, oh I know what you're talking about but I can't remember the name of it. It's a really good movie too.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of that to where they clearly showed their inspiration on screen. Yes. Yeah, oh, and by the way that movie's called Lost Parasitos or the Similars. Yes. Uh, it, great movie. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so good. Very low budget. Uh probably even more so than this one. And I'd argue that one maybe shows it a little more. But it looks about as high of a budget as you might have had for a Twilight Zone. The double feature of these two fucking perfect. Yeah, Perfect, especially cuz you get the different cultural take. But yeah, this this feels like a uh, Outer limits or twilight zone segment stretched an extra hour
0: or half hour depending on which season necessarily you, you go with from the twilight zone that's true. that's true my biggest issue i would say is probably like i like the intro being like oh you're uh, a weird twilight zone opening with like the old-fashioned tv
1: they go too much
0: i don't know if we had to, yeah i agree i don't know if we had to come back to it the whole time like i should have bookended it with that like they i completely
1: agree they they did it about three times too many right
0: huh. <laughs> um, yeah, because one there are points that you end up, like, showing the TV again, like, the action's happening on the TV set again, and it's like, we didn't need that. We could have just been stuck in this particular thing.
1: You know, you get it from the beginning, and at the end, like you said, if they'd have wrapped it up with that, you got it. Uh, one scene I really did like, though, which I thought was cool, and it's also a really smart take, because they have a low budget, but when the screen goes black for, like, three minutes.
0: Yes, during the Billy monologue. Yeah, it's so good, so effective. It really reminds me a lot of a movie we've covered on the show here, uh, Pontypool, in terms of that.
1: Oh yeah, good point. I never thought of that. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah absolutely. Cause they know that definitely it's like a smaller budget, but they're like, okay, we're going to milk as much as we can out of the dialogue But with Billy, the, um, which credit to that voice actor, Bruce Davis, phenomenal work, which is he's describing the story that's unraveling. Like the thing is you can guess pretty easily near the beginning, like, Oh, it's going to be aliens. But at the same time, I love how this movie unravels it. It's, it's really is a movie that's like about the journey, not the destination.
1: Absolutely. And then they get into like, maybe like Tuskegee sort of ideas. Mm-hmm. because he was part of all black battalions in the army. Right off the bat, you're thinking, oh, this is about Roswell. Okay. Yeah, that's the basis, but we're really going to lay it in now. It's subtle. Mm-hmm. They do, they do certain little things that change it to where now it's not Roswell, its own thing. And it's really well done.
0: Like Cayuga isn't even actually a real town in New Mexico, uh, because interestingly, that name is actually based off of Cayuga Productions, which was Rod Serling's production company who made The Twilight Zone. So you think these guys like The Twilight Zone, then? I think, you know, I think the, like, 50s, like, sci-fi stuff. Yeah, I think so. I Maybe. Maybe. Um, but I also like the fact that in that Billy segment, like, you're just, like, so wrapped up in what's happening as he's describing all this stuff, and then the tension comes in, like, dropping a call. And you're like, oh, fuck, pick him back up, get the phone back <laughs> on the line. Get Billy back on the goddamn <laughs> line. <laughs> I and, and I like how also the movie kind of, like, pushes on some of these, like, sort of political elements at the time, but doesn't flesh it out. Like, about, like, well, um, you know, I think people don't listen to me because I'm black. Everett's like, no, I don't think that's a problem, and I, I figured that might be the case. Like, it's just very small, very subtle, and then it keeps moving on. And I think that the movie does a great job of especially building up a lot of that 50s-era sort of communism paranoia in particular. It's based mm-hmm. on a lot of, like, that sort of Red Scare-era stuff. And even, like, you, you see that with, like, Billy being an outsider, or that old lady and her sad-ass story.
1: Dude, it's so sad, but it's it's really unnerving. Like, the way she describes it and the inflections in her voice. And when she's talking, you know, about her son looking out the window and she repeated these words that he said. You know, like, what the fuck, man? Oh, you instantly felt really bad for her, but at the same time, you're like, is she fucking crazy? But that's the thing about the movie. They do such a good job. You get the idea of what's happening pretty early. Mm-hmm. but you still are siding with the like the two main characters like whenever it gets up with Faye and they're like all right
0: yeah we're getting the fuck out of here
1: like you understand why they
0: would you still feel so sad for that old lady which is like take me with oh, you God. i want to see my son oh. again you're like oh no
1: <laughs> and she's like at least take these wor- take this so you repeat it to anyone you come across tonight which they do which is fucked up
0: oh yeah when this in the car yeah Tremendous. Mm-hmm. And that's also done without, like, there's clearly, like, they didn't have, like, another car. They probably had, like, a light in front of this car, basically. Yeah, that it's, they used. it's two
1: people flashlights, like, running Probably, out yeah, yeah. But it's... at the same time,
0: you're like, oh, fuck, what's going to happen now?
1: So, very spoilery, okay? Yes. But I want to ask you a question. So, did they get taken? Yeah. Okay, I thought so. Like, I, I had to, like, get up and go do something for, like, a second. And I came back, and I'm like, wait, what I huh? <laughs> and then I saw the tape recorder. I'm like, oh, uh... Okay, so they did. All right.
0: Well, that's what I interpreted. And I was curious to hear your thoughts on the ending, because I will say that is the most controversial thing about the movie. Like, most of the word I've heard in this movie is either a 100% positive, like, great movie, or it's uh-huh. mostly a great movie, but it feels like it's kind of missing a reel or something with, like, that ending. Um, do you feel like that works as an ending, though?
1: Yes, I absolutely think it
0: works for an ending.
1: Because you know what happened. What, do you need to see a fucking tractor beam?
0: Like, you got it.
1: Obviously, that's what happened.
0: Right, but you didn't need to see more at the same time from that. Like,
1: I know. I, I do
0: not need to see anything
1: more. And I love the idea that the tape recorder sitting there in the dirt, but the tape is still there. So anybody can fucking, like, it's going to go on. People are going to figure it out. Like, basically, they, they end up being murders.
0: Well, I thought the tape was actually missing. It's just the recorder. No, the reels are on there. The reels are on there, but, like, the actual tape I didn't see. Oh. Oh. Different interpretations. It's I'm really... sure the tape <laughs> is
1: still there. I highly doubt the aliens
0: like, fuck, better get that fucking tape. <laughs> leave no trails. <laughs> yeah, leave no trail. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> they brushed off the thing for their fingerprints, like, oh, God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but also, I love that shot of the ship. Which is so incredible oh, on such so a small well budget. Done, like you can, you can also tell like this was mostly shot in like 2016, and they probably spent a lot of their money like doing some of this post, particularly that ship. I love it; like, it's just clearly very simple, but at the same time, it has that same amount of awe because you've been built up so much with the rest of this. It feels so satisfying, like oh my god, it's fucking there.
1: I love they see the one, and you're like oh shit there, it is. and then the mothership comes above, and you're like oh, and it's so cool that they kept it like with the idea that it's a flying saucer, basically. Like, it's so cool, man. I, I really... Like I said, I, I definitely want to watch this again, and I have a feeling like every time I watch this, is going to go up a half a point.
0: Well, yeah, and I also like the fact that it feels like it's of influenced by, speaking of, like, our last episode where we talked about E.T., like, a Spielberg and his sci-fi. There's some close connection. But it doesn't feel as overt as, like, some of these other, like, things ripping off Spielberg. It doesn't feel like J.J. abrams where it's like, yeah, look at me now, you. Dad Spielberg, look at me now. Don't you no, love me you now? you know what
1: this feels like? This feels like the Duffer Brothers uh, Stranger Things season one, where they're paying homage to their fucking influences, but not right off ripping them off Mm
0: -hmm.
1: where strange things season two maybe that wasn't the case these are the movies we love these are the stories we want to tell we feel we can still tell these stories and make them relevant and i think this one hits it on pretty much every level
0: yeah, and especially considering as we mentioned, very small budget, but I think it's it's a real credit to the casting as oh, well. Oh. Like they know that their, their special effects are, the camera moves that they can do with the limited budget, and the cast. Because I mean, we mentioned Jake Hurwitz, but he feels almost like he has like the Sam Rockwell energy that I love yes. in this movie. Absolutely, he's
1: your everyman. He's a, that dude. If they, if they give him a chance, he's going to be a really big character actor.
0: Right, he feels like he's, he's like I agree, an everyman, but he's the coolest everyman in a, yeah. in, in a town of everymen. <laughs> That's what I love so much is that. But he has this like cool confidence, and he just like really exudes all of that. But then when the shit starts hitting the fan, he also is just like that. He takes that sort of drive and puts it immediately toward. I want to solve this. I want to find out what this is all. Well, about. a little
1: bit, but he's also scared because once he he knows what's happening, he's like, "No, it's the Soviets."
0: Right, but then he has like a Faye to kind of counterbalance that, who like has more of like an even more wide eyed curiosity about. What's yeah,
1: because she's here. younger, and yeah, absolutely, and she's more uh, sort of sheltered, which they did that in a good way, like sort of putting that about her character. Like, I don't even have a car; I just walk everywhere, <laughs> like that type of thing. Like, she's a very sheltered kid. You know, she doesn't want to swear. She doesn't want to smoke. She doesn't want to do anything. Uh, it, it's and it's and she
0: can't even like open herself up to talk. to people. Like I love early on when they're like interviewing people, and she he he has a teacher to like ask a question to people.
1: Yeah, <laughs> oh, I love when she's on the on the switchboard with uh, somebody from another township. She's like, well, just call everybody. Like, he no, he'll get mad if I call him. Like, he's not gonna get mad. <laughs> Like, she doesn't even want to call him because she's afraid he's going to get her, and she asked him, like, four times in the initial conversation, are you mad at me? And keeps apologizing well, and well, shit. I
0: mean, the, the, Right, there's that. There's very much indication that she probably lives also in a house where, like, people don't really, like, trust her with much at the same time. Oh, well, yeah, because she her... can't
1: babysit. Like, they have a babysitter right. come to the house.
0: Yes, yes, I, I love all that. It, it's very clear, also, that there's that earlier point where she's about to put on the thing, and she's like, do you want me to put it on? I don't know. I don't want to get you in trouble. Then she thinks about it, and she's like, fuck it, let me put it in <laughs> no yep. you are the thing. I love that Like this is her sort of first step into like, no, I'm being like a big girl now. I got my big girl pants on. <laughs> um, she does such a great job with all that too. They are so perfect together in this movie. I think it keeps uh-huh. you, even if you're kind of bored about like, oh, it's like small town, whatever they're doing. They're so dynamic together that you're instantly just like, okay, I want to see where these two crazy kids go and if they solve them aliens <laughs> mysteries.
1: The script for this, it's pretty airtight, dude. Like it, it's mm-hmm. really good. Uh, but this is definitely, one there, I'm like, I'm excited to watch again, because like I said, it's going to just go up and up in my book. This is right up my alley. I'm glad it's getting a little bit more attention than it maybe necessarily would have without everything that's going on. But this is also one that I will definitely recommend to certain people because I do understand that there would certain people would watch this movie and be like, this was boring as fuck. But if you are a fan of Twilight Zone or fucking Outer Limits. Or if you liked the similars like we talked about earlier, there's certain movies that I've seen that remind me of this one. But one thing I do want to say, Mm -hmm. this is not a horror film. This is not a straight sci-fi film either. Mm -hmm. Like, it's firmly rooted in sci-fi, but it's not. It's, It's definitely just a character piece. Yes. If you come into it thinking it's going to be a certain genre picture, you're going to be disappointed. I think you have to watch it blindly. And I think you'll enjoy it.
0: Here's another thing, and spe- speaking to niche audiences, if you're a fan of radio dramas... <laughs> oh, dude, um, right up your fucking yeah, alley. right up your alley. Absolutely. But, I mean, I, Adam, do you have anything else to add? Because those sound like pretty good final thoughts to me.
1: No, that's it.
0: <laughs> well yes i mean i'll definitely agree and uh i'll second all of what adam said but i do just also want to add something as much as like i'm glad that a streaming platform was able to put this out and it got a bit of attention when it came out and was sort of like a movie that was talked about online at the same time man watches especially the second time i was thinking this would have been so dope to see in a theater though like some of these elements would have been great to see in like a small room really or to it or a drive-in. Or, or a drive-in, which we still might be able to have. Uh, yeah. You know, that might be the wave of the future in that particular regard. Yeah, I, w- I would love to see, even if, you know, at some point this could be revived in the theater, I would love to see it in that atmosphere. Mm-hmm. It definitely would work in that case. But that's the end of our discussion of our two movies. Um, and we're going to be picking our two movies for next week, so stay tuned. But first, uh, we asked all of you via at DEDBpod which is our Facebook and our Twitter page, um, about, you know, every Monday we ask, hey, what are your favorite things related to whatever topic we're doing? So we asked all of you, what are the best and worst films of 2020 so far? And uh, quite a few people answered, so we'll go ahead and read that feedback here. First off, from a James Rodriguez, who we've had on the show previously, he says, "Uh, Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always is a powerful tale about the unnecessary hoops two young girls must go through to have an abortion. Uh, The Invisible Man, Sea Fever... Dogs Don't Wear Pants and Come to Daddy are also exceptional. Doolittle is my worst, dear God. Um, Scott Johnson says uh, For best, Netflix has a phenomenal documentary Called Disclosure about the history of transgender representation in media That goes back to the silent film era That's really incredible, powerful, and surprisingly funny Before that, I was really stuck between Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey, or The Invisible Man As the best film so far this year Uh, For worst, Artemis Fowl is just a migraine-inducing mess Some of the worst action storytelling I've seen in quite a long time Uh, Jonathan Havden says, I have uh, limited my quarantine viewing to my TV slash movie backlog, so here are my recommendations. If you want more Issa Rae romance after Insecure Season 4, watch The Photograph. Um, If you want more Issa Rae comedy after Insecure Season 4, watch The Lovebirds. If you want A24 light horror gretel and hansel um if you want an anime using surfing and magical realism to deal with loss ride your wave um and if you want a period piece while waiting for the new mutants emma um scott crawford says the title is very generic but ghost killers versus bloody mary on shutter is a blast from start to finish uh, Rachel Hillis says the only 2020 movie I managed to see in theaters this year before the quarantine started was The Invisible Man which was honestly amazing uh, two others I enjoyed were Onward and Kimmy Schmidt versus The Reverend which served as an excellent finale to a great series as well um, as for Worst Horse Girl I love Allison Brie and I wanted to like it so badly but it just wasn't happening Goy Bye at Turbo queer JC says best would be invisible man uh desmond peel our buddy says uh best the lodge and the invisible man worse the murder of nicole brown simpson and the dawn jamie c roberts uh says and this is all with emojis keep in mind uh the hunt thumbs up the king of Staten island thumbs up big time Adolescence, thumbs up bad boys for life thumbs up underwater thumbs down the Wrong Missy thumbs down, The Lovebirds thumbs down, and Fancy Island just gets a meh. Um, and then, for Mallory Somerville, uh, she says, I've only watched two, The Vast of Night and Shirley. The Vast of Night had me mesmerized throughout, a classic story stripped down, and a love letter to the Twilight Zone, a movie with no big names, no huge special effects, and a micro-budget, managed to be one of the most compelling movies I've seen in a long time. Those wonders, though. And then Shirley has to be one of the most unique, beautifully made biopics I've ever seen. I'm not sure what it um, what it is about her that keeps getting the remix treatment, like the Netflix Haunting of Hill House, uh, when her uh, life and work are pretty incredible on their own, but I'm glad she's getting more recognition. I'm honestly not sure exactly how I feel about the movie, but i thought about it a lot since I watched it. Um, it's great to have a woman's story being told by a woman director, finally. And uh, yeah, those are all very interesting recommendations. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I would say I did see Shirley. And I have kind of a similar thing with Mallory where I do agree it's a weird one for sure. But uh, Elizabeth Moss plays Shirley Jackson. And she's obviously phenomenal. Um, And I love any of the scenes with her and her husband – uh, played by Michael Stuhlbarg, who's also one of my favorite actors out there, and the weird sort of tension where like they're both kind of uh, pithy toward each other, but he kind of has more of a area your like oh I'm, I'm a professor attitude to him that ends up actually being kind of secretly abusive at the same time. Their dynamic's great. I think some of the other stuff in the movie is kind of wonky, but that stuff was enough to at least sell me on. I think it's a pretty good movie. Um, but Adam, have you seen any of these? Any of these interest you? No, you haven't seen that much, but I know you've seen, like, I know you like Birds of Prey, right? I, I actually really liked Birds of Prey,
1: because I did not like Suicide Squad at all. Right. I I have problems with Birds of Prey, but I think it's a very fun, fun movie. Uh, to me, it's, it's right up there with, like, what DC should be doing with, like, Shazam and Aquaman. Yeah. Like, I put it right there. It's fun.
0: And I know we've also both seen Come to Daddy, and we're both yes oh fuck i love come to daddy yeah if you want to talk about a movie not to go in knowing anything about definitely with come come to daddy Absolutely. <laughs> just though it's so literally
1: it stars it elijah wood brutal. and it gets weird <laughs> and brutal it, and there's weird. some vi- there's some fucking violence in
0: it you know there is a lot of horror i honestly would like to catch up more on um i know uh earlier before we even recorded i will say i did see becky Which is the film uh, that's been getting a bit of attention for, like, oh, Kevin James is doing, like, a serious thing. Uh, Because you don't know the premise. Uh, Becky's about... um, Young Becky goes to uh, a cabin in the woods that uh, her dad um, has, along with his fiancée and her son. And uh, in the middle of all that, um, a a group of neo-Nazis who just escaped prison end up uh, breaking in. Um, And Kevin James plays the main neo-Nazi, and he's weirdly intimidating... Mr. Paul himself is like actually genuinely intimidating, especially when one of his henchmen is this seven foot tall dude who has like a lot of conflictions about doing this stuff, and there are several scenes where he uses psychological manipulation Kevin James says, on this guy, this huge dude and you believe that he has this like intimidation over this guy, and then also uh, Becky gets her vet, you know her uh, tries to save her family uh, through very violent means and it gets really gory and fucked up (laughs) I don't know if you've seen that one
1: no, I haven't I haven't got a chance to. I definitely do. I'm curious. I really fucking hate Kevin James though. So that's sort of been my hesitation.
0: I mean, as someone who was not a fan of him whatsoever, um, I was very surprised and impressed with him. I'm glad uh, Rachel mentioned uh, the Kimmy Schmidt thing, because I will say I'm a fan of that show, and I loved how they ended that. And especially the big sort of thing about that was it was a choose-your-own-adventure thing similar to the Black Mirror episode, the Bandersnatch. If Netflix is going to keep doing that whole like choose-your-own-adventure thing, it works so much better for comedy. Because any of the avenues you might go down, it works so much better if you're unsatisfied, but it's in a joke way. Like, the movie does that so many times in really fun ways. And I would definitely say, if Netflix wants to keep doing that, aim for comedies. Do with your comedy shows or with, like, comedic talents. Because I think Bandersnatch had that problem of, like, it would hit a dead end, but it's like, oh, it's not really funny. Or it would get funny, and it's like, this feels tonally weird. I don't know why we're doing this. Um, I will also say um, for some of these other uh, some of my other favorites from this year. No one mentioned it, but I loved Spike Lee's Defive Bloods*. I think that's a pretty damn great movie and is worth seeing just for Delroy Lindo in particular. delivers like performance of the year and maybe of his career, which is saying a lot.
1: That's saying a lot, man. I haven't watched it yet. I got to.
0: I yeah I really like that one. Speaking of great performances, I would say Bad Education, which is the Hugh Jackman HBO movie that came out earlier this year. Um, I think that's a phenomenal turn from Jackman. I think because
1: I think he's always been consistent, like, right?
0: Always. But what I like about this one in particular, it feels sort of like a metacontextual thing because he's playing this guy. If you don't know the premise, based on a true story about this guy who was like the principal of the school who ended up doing some like, uh, you know, embezzlement. Um, in New York and what I love is it's him sort of meta-contextually talking about himself as a showman in the context of being this guy who's diverting attention from himself about his embezzlement I love how all that's done. And I think it's such a phenomenal turn from Jackman. You know, and some ones I think I kind of lost in the shuffle. um, We both agree on this, Adam. Uh, Scream Queen, uh, my Nightmare on Elm Street.
1: To me, not only as a genre fan who's into, like, genre-specific, horror-specific documentaries, because there are some really good ones. Like, we've talked about either off-mic, but, like, the Nightmare on Elm Street one or the Camp Crystal Lake, you know, documentaries or whatever. uh, This was... Probably one of my favorites, if not my favorite, of that ilk. Because, uh, yes, it has a lot to do with, you know, Mark Patton from Nightmare on Elm Street 2. So, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is referenced, but it's also about his struggle as a gay man and his journey and what he's gone through post Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. And- you know, part of supposedly the gayest horror film ever made. It's, it's really good.
0: Right. It's an interesting, especially sort of like queer context movie for like, Uh especially of that era um, of like the mid eighties, obviously given, you know, the AIDS epidemic was going on at the time. There's so much there, so much ground to cover. Oh yeah. And uh, it does a phenomenal job with that. I completely agree. Um, And even, you know what? Bad boys for life is pretty dope.
1: It's pretty fucking dope, dude. Like it's, it's a little silly. It's bad boys.
0: Yeah, and also, it's, like, it's obviously like two reckless cops, but at the same time, I think the movie kind of has some interesting things to say about that. Um,
1: it does. It, yeah. it definitely does. But, like, even just the main crux of the story, like who the villain is and everything, you're like, oh, this is a little far-fetched, but okay.
0: Yeah. Um, and, you know, one that, like, really got, like, lost under the shelf in terms of streaming stuff, um, I really dug the animated film that's on Netflix, The Willoughbys, which, if you don't know, it's about this uh, family where the kids... Um, basically are like under the roof of like these terrible parents voiced by Martin Short and Jane Krakowski who are very funny in the movie. Um, and uh, they are like, Oh man, we want to kind of get out of this. And you know well, Like all our favorite stories are about orphans kind of having an adventure. Let's orphan ourselves. <laughs> they try and kill their parents. <laughs> <laughs> and this is animated like kids movie, but it's got like almost like a roll doll sort of like wicked sense of humor to it that I really dug. And it also has this gray animation style that feels like it's stop motion, but it's actually computer animated, but you wouldn't be able to tell. Like I spent the first 30 minutes of this movie thinking like, oh, it's a stop motion movie. Wow, really well done. Wait, it's not really well done. And I say all this considering the narrator's Ricky Gervais as a cat. And I've grown to really dislike Ricky Gervais over the last several years. I think that dude just so up his own ass. But he did produce and you know narrate this movie, so at least give him credit for making this exist because it's uh, pretty fun.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen that one. I, that sounds interesting. You know, stop motion animation is kind of my thing. But yeah, I'm kind of, kind
0: on board with you with the Ricky Gervais.
1: Uh, Adam, I think
0: he might be an atheist. I don't know if he's ever yeah. implied that. He's very subtle. Do you think
1: he has a problem with mainstream Hollywood? I don't know. And yet he keeps making movies. I uh, I don't know.
0: Do you think he has things to say about transgender people? And you think he has something against them or something like that? I don't know. He's very subtle I about don't
1: it. know. Do you think he laughs a lot at his own jokes?
0: Maybe. I don't know. I never noticed.
1: Yeah. You know, a little fucking slug
0: what piece of shit yes um, but I'll, I'll throw out just a few of um, like the bad ones for this year I would say we mentioned Artemis Fowl I would say second worst for me of the year besides Aramis Fowl I watched Scoob oh is it bad oh it's terrible we almost watched it don't don't go down that road. Okay, good, good, um, good. Because the problem with Scooby and I described this to you at one point, Adam, and you were like flabbergasted by it. Um, you think it's a Scooby-Doo movie, but actually what the advertising kind of hid was that it's actually a cinematic universe movie, because Warner Brothers wanted to make this into <sighs> the Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe, so you have like Dick Dastardly and Blue Falcon and like mm. Captain mm. Caveman, aka all these people that... No one gives a shit about. <laughs> no
1: one gives a shit about. Oh God.
0: I'd I'd, I'd also say uh, a lot of people liked Extraction, the Netflix movie. I was so bored by Extraction, the like Chris Hemsworth like action movie. Well, I thought movie. the
1: action scenes were really good. Like I thought they were a pretty brilliant film, but I was kind of the same way.
0: That's an example where, like, if you want like a one shot unlike on, the Vast of Night, that's just done to show off in like an obnoxious way. I would argue Extraction does. That oh yeah, out. but it's. it's-
1: really still kind of well done it it's still impressive
0: that one shot is impressive that one shot sequence but i would say otherwise it's mostly very serviceable action with a lot of other dull bullshit around it
1: honorable mention for either could be the worst or the best is
0: bloodshot bloodshot's fascinating <laughs> mm-hmm. i will say because bloodshot has this thing where like oh like it's, it's gonna be a typical vin diesel movie then he does a twist halfway through that was like that's really interesting, where are we going with this? And it doesn't really quite stick the landing at all. (laughs) No, it doesn't, but it's still entertaining. It is, yeah, that's the weird thing I would say. Um, Because it definitely has, like, some things where, oh, it's Guy Pierce kind of phoning in, but also Vin Diesel not phoning it in, which is like, oh, he's, like, really trying, but it's also kind of funny, like, there's a bit where he yells at Guy Pierce, and he's just like, (laughs) it's so funny. (laughs) It's so fucking funny. Another
1: one I really liked this year, I really liked the Mortal Kombat Legends animated film. Okay. Uh, If you're a Mortal Kombat fan, it's right up your fucking alley. It's brutally violent. It's pretty good animated. I had a couple issues with some of the choices artistically that they made. You know, it's very simple. Like, I can't believe they shaded this that way. It's it's pretty good. And then um, Guns Akimbo is pretty fun. If you like like Crank and stuff like that, then you'll probably like Guns Akimbo. Well,
0: and, 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 and Janet Redcliffe being pretty fun. Also, it's Samara Weaving, the new sort of... Who is, who's
1: like, yeah, no, dude, she's a fucking champion. And uh, I actually really did dig Gretel Hansel. A lot of people we know don't like it, but there's people we know that love it. I actually
0: really dug it. And you know, one I'll say that I think I have a lot of issues with, but I think is still weirdly worth watching, is The Hunt. Which got all this weird controversy came out. I really got to out. see
1: that. Yeah, that's when I'm
0: dying. Just to prepare anybody who might want to see it, um, I think it's a political satire. It's really on the nose and not that engaging. It definitely feels kind of like a lackluster in that regard. Um, as a horror action movie, I think it has some fun gore elements, but other times it's, it's very uneven with like some of the CG stuff. But I will say it is worth watching alone for one of my favorite performances of the year from Betty Gilpin.
1: She's so good.
0: Who you might recognize, of course, from, like, um... Glow. Uh, Glow. right, the Netflix show, amongst other things. It's like, if one of the great John Carpenter characters came out of, like, a mediocre John Carpenter ripoff movie, watch it alone for Gilpin, who, like, there's one scene that takes place at a gas station I won't say much about that's uh-huh. one of my favorite scenes of the whole year. It's so great. But... That was a lot to say, and uh, thank you all for saying it, obviously in our feedback section, but also we want to thank a few other people. Like, of course, uh, we want to thank Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used on our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. We also want to thank Emily Scarter for the art for our show. And uh, you can find us, as I mentioned, on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod. You can email us some feedback at doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. You know, if you have some shekels to spare... Uh, we do have a Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash DEDBpod, where for just $1 you get to do stuff like listen to some bonus podcasts we do every month, and then also uh, polls. Right around the time this episode's coming out, there's a poll uh, for two good choices for uh, an episode we're going to be doing about time travel movies that were picked by Adam. Yes. And, uh, Adam, what are those two movies? Uh, One of them is The
1: Jacket with Adrian Brody, Chris Christopherson, It's a very, like, sort of underseen, underknown film. I like it. People might not, but I think it's dope. And then the other one is the Ethan Hawke predestination, which is fucking wild.
0: Okay. I have not seen either of those. I don't know much about them, so I'd be curious. Well,
1: you will. uh, Either way, you're going to have an opinion. I expect you to hate one of those choices and really like the other one, Hmm. but it might flip on me, which is going to be interesting.
0: Very interesting. Uh, So, yeah, you'll be able to vote on that. And whatever you guys pick over at patreon.com slash pod for just $1 a month. uh, That ends up being the choice that we will do when we do that time travel episode next month. Uh, But uh, you can also find me just doing my own things on uh, Twitter at Tommy. I'm also on Letterboxd as SilentTom. Um, and I do some writing as I mentioned at mariani where I do lists and movie reviews and post- episodes of the show and all that. And you can find Adam just trying to find out the source of that noise. Where was that noise coming from Adam find it.
1: Well it depends on which noise. was it the one you just heard or the one we heard earlier.
0: I mean, if it's that fart, I probably know where it came from.
1: Yeah it was the fart. it came from frommumblee hole.
0: There's a butt in the sky. There's a butt in the sky. It's perfectly round. that explains all the screaming on those recordings we got um but if you want more great wonderful talk like that uh you can subscribe (laughs) to us on apple podcasts spotify stitcher and other podcasting platforms if you're listening on the eso network uh why not dig into the archives for the first several episodes we did before we joined that and uh if you can rate review or just share the show around on whatever platform you listen to it on uh, because that gives us more visibility out there in the ether yeah
1: i'd rather have more people listening than more people giving us money just listen just share it around like i said if you don't like our show if you got a problem with it if you think we suck tell us if it's something that we agree with, that it's a fault, we'll try to fix it. If not, then, you know, maybe go fuck yourself.
0: Yeah, uh, though also, constructive criticism, please. Don't just say, like, you suck lol. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Like, that, guy,
1: that Adam guy sounds like he's a fucking real
0: hottie. <laughs> well, that's not constructive criticism, that's just baiting. Yeah, and you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adam, it's near the end of our show, and uh, you know what that means. It's time for some pick for every single week um, at the end of the show, we pick the movies for next week's show. The way we do that is uh, each of us have two movies. Uh, One of us has two good movies, one of us has two bad movies based on the topic that we're doing, and each of us assign numbers between 1 and 10 for those two movies we've got, and the other one picks number between 1 and 10, and whichever closest uh, that is to whichever choice of the other person ends up being a good movie and a bad movie we cover. So... Uh, next week, we decided to do, you know, we haven't done too many female directors. We love talking about directors on the show, but not a lot different. Have we done any? The Wachowskis, we have done. Oh, that's true. We did The Wachowskis. That was our yes. first. Yes. Which was only like three episodes ago, so. Right. So, well, we figured we'd, uh, let's do a few more, including this particular choice, which I'm very excited about. Very interesting career for Miss Catherine Bigelow, the only female director to win a Best Director Oscar as of yet.
1: Yeah, which is kind of wild, isn't it?
0: Yeah, really wild. Real bummer that that's the only person. Mm, That's a thing. But she earned that Oscar, (laughs) and we're going to be talking about, you know, um, one of her good films, one of her bad films. I have the two good choices. You have the two bad, Adam. So this will be very curious. So first, for my two good picks, number between 1 and 10.
1: I will go number 1 since she won one Oscar.
0: Well, at number 4, I had, I think, a pretty tremendous one. The movie that I would argue sort of made her career. I have 1991's Point Break.
1: Oh, God damn it, I love Point Break so much
0: Pretty great movie yeah. Oh, exciting. it's so good um, And then on the opposite side At number 8, I had Near Dark
1: Ah, uh, Near Dark, one of the greatest vampire movies ever made Yeah, I think so Yeah yeah. yeah. If uh, anybody talks about horror westerns uh, Near Dark's probably the shining example
0: Also one of the shining examples Of someone not known for horror Doing one of the best horror movies out there Yeah, I agree
1: I'm glad that's going to come back in rotation, though. Like, I, it, could. I, it could. It could.
0: definitely could. I, I do agree with that. But now, Adam, for your two bad choices. <sighs> Fucking shit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> hmm. Um, you know, I'll go with number seven.
1: All right. I understand the weight of the story that this is based on or whatever, but I chose Zero Dark Thirty because I think it's just bland.
0: Interesting. I watched this last when it first came out, and I remember being kind of disappointed by it, so I'm curious to revisit it.
1: Yeah, I saw it probably right around when it first came out, too, so I haven't seen it in a while, so... I guess we'll see what happens. I'm expecting uh, probably the same uh, opinion. And at number two, which I'm so glad you didn't get close to, was K-19, The Widowmaker.
0: Oh, thank fucking God. I'm so worried. <laughs> what, with, her, I, with a look, Russian exit. As much as we do agree that Catherine Piccolo is a great director, that is maybe yeah. one of the most boring movies I've ever sat through. <laughs> probably her worst. Oh, easily she's, her worst. Yeah, I mean, she's yeah. done some bad movies, but that is definitely... Like, that is a movie... I tried watching at least a couple times and kept falling asleep. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) Oh, my God. But, so, yeah, Zero Dark Thirty and Point Break. Very interesting. Two different perspectives of her career, for sure. That'll be interesting to dig into. Um, But, you know, until then, Adam, we're going to keep watching the skies and seeing what comes about for next week. (laughs) oh oh god the irish fairies shoot him down get the air force shoot him
1: down (laughs)